Welcome to the Tech Leaders Talk Show, where we get to speak to those on the forefront of the technology world on a personal level. We dive into their careers, some of the challenges they faced and how they've overcome them. Please help others find the show by rating us on your favorite podcast engine. Good afternoon and welcome to the Tech Leaders Talk Show. I'm your host, Ernst Palser. Today's guest is a winner of the 2018 Laureate Year for Good Award. She is also the 2019 Australian Financial Review's Top 100 Women of Influence nominee. Although she suffers from spinal muscular atrophy, this has not stopped her, and she is the first person in the world with a physical disability to receive the Duke of Edinburgh International Award. Today we chat with Melanie Tran about her love for technology and how she entered the technology space. We also chat about how we can use technology as an enabler to improve inclusion. Melanie, I'm honoured to welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ernst. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So it's taken us a few goes to align our um, diaries, but we, we've finally got there now in the New Year's. Yes, we did, in a new decade. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's quite a scary thought that, isn't it? It kind of struck me late last year. It's like, oh, wow, we're in another decade already. So... But I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be a good one. So, well, as we discussed earlier, I'm going to just start off with a few little fun questions, just as an icebreaker, and then we'll kind of just keep on, keep the conversation going. Sounds good. What is your favorite pizza? Favorite pizza. Meat lovers. Meat lovers. Okay, right. Mine is the Hawaiian. Uh, very close. <laughs> <laughs> favorite book? My Sister Tupa. Okay, interesting. Okay. <laughs> Favorite superhero? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Mm, okay. <laughs> and then favorite pet? Favorite pet. A puppy. A puppy. Okay. A puppy. Any specific type of puppy? Um, no specific type. I'm a dog lover. Yeah, dog lover. <laughs> Any puppy would make me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a little French bulldog. Oh, amazing. How old? Uh, he's just turned a year now. Little Batman. His, name, <laughs> his name's Winston, though, like Winston Churchill. I was hoping he'd be Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I couldn't get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's start from the beginning for you, Mel. Can you tell us how you ended up in technology and why technology? Great question. Um, I think that story and this story will probably go back to my high school days um and it's a story that i still tell now in terms of i think when i was in high school i i was in year eight and it got to the stage where we were asked to choose elective subjects and i remember the teachers would tell us to choose and the subjects that we were passionate about and would potentially want to pursue a career in and I remember that day I sat in my design and technology class and I stared at that piece of paper and my design and technology teacher asked me, where do you see yourself in 10 years time though? What are your career goals? And I really didn't know how to answer his question because no one has asked that before. And as a person growing up with a disability, I was used to people I just have a low expectations, so I haven't even asked that question myself. So when I asked him, what can I do? He pointed to the computer in front of me and he 
said, if you learn to use the power of this tool, it can introduce you to opportunities and possibilities that you probably would not have imagined. And from that day onwards, he not only introduced me to the design industry, but also, I guess, to, and he taught me how to embrace and use creativity along with technology. And yeah, that's my, I guess, my first introduction to technology. <laughs> okay, very anyway, interesting. I guess, from a career perspective. It's amazing how somebody can have such a great impact on, on your life, isn't it? It is, and it's surprising how, I guess, and to my, my personal journey, how um, education has played such a huge role in helping me shape, in shaping the way I view technology and the way I use technology in my work. So you touched on, you know, that it's helped you tap into your creativity side. Would you, would you say that you've always been a creative person or is it something that you've just really started developing uh, from that point onwards? I think I've always been a creative person. For starters, I am absolutely terrible with maths. So I've always known that numbers and science are definitely not my strongest, but as a child, I've always known that I was one creative and I grew up actually wanting to be an author. So I've always started in the creative side of things. Okay, interesting. And like, you know, how, how long was this about that you start, started with, you know, from that point onwards? I'm just trying to get an idea of how good technology was for people in your situation at that time already. I think that technology has always played a huge part in my life. I mean, given my own experience, I rely very heavily on technology to help me um, to do my work, to do my studies, and to help me get through my everyday life. And, but I think as I started to learn more about technology from my creativity and innovation lens, it helped me see technology from a different perspective. It helps me understand that technology itself is powerful, but it's much more powerful when it's created by people who understand its impact, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm a little bit ignorant on the type of tools. I mean, like I've actually learned, you know, before preparing for this conversation, uh, more about the tools that are available. But can you describe to to the audience on, you know, try and describe some of the tools that you use on a daily basis to help you do your your job. When you refer, when you say tools, just some of the things that help you do your work. Because I mean, like I'm used to a normal mouse and keyboard, for instance, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't really have a full understanding of what type of stuff that that you use and enable somebody in your position to use tools. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, the the pointing device. Excuse my ignorance. Yeah, is <laughs> is very unfamiliar to me. Mm-hmm. I'm quite fortunate in a in a sense that I am um, I'm able to very easily access a, just a laptop and a mouse, but um, I guess the one thing that had really changed the way I interact with technology and given me more um, independence because I think, well, first of all, the laptop and the computer is my life. That's where 
90% of my work happens and that's where I spend most of my time and it's surprising to see how small simple features can make such a huge difference. Like for an example, um, when I type on a keyboard I use a on-screen keyboard and I click with the mouse. So it's quite slow. I mean you literally have to click letter by letter to form a word, but things like text prediction and everything like that will help speed up that process. But again, this is all just, I guess, my personal experience. And there's such a, technology has enabled a vast, I guess a large amount of options in terms of screen readers, eye gaze, voiceovers, and there's so many different options available to help you access technology. Interesting. Okay. Moving on a little bit to you were the first person in the world with a physical disability to receive the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. Can you tell us a little bit about stories that maybe start off to give our audience a little bit of an idea of what that award is and then just your Mm -hmm. journey through that process? That That was an interesting journey. I think, first of all, I think the the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. It comes in three levels. So there's bronze, silver and gold. And bronze itself takes three months to complete. Silver takes six months. And gold takes 12 months. And I've completed all three of them while I was in high school and managed to complete gold just before I started my HSC, which is very good timing. Essentially, the whole aim of this award is to give young people an opportunity to learn the qualities of leadership and learn the qualities of being independent and I guess being a role model for people who are younger, the younger generations. And the award itself is broken down into four sections in terms of you are required to learn a new skill and your required to do it either an hour every week or two hours a fortnight for the duration of the award level that you're doing. So you're required to do skills, you're required to volunteer, and you're also required to do a sport section, physical recreation, as well as an adventurous journey, which is designed to help you not only understand organizational and time management skills, but also independence and leadership. So it's a long, I mean, it's a long-ish journey. I did that over, I started the bombs in 2012 and got my gold in 2014. And I throughout that journey, it taught me to, I guess, understand myself better, in a sense, just for every any other teenager, when you're at that point in life, you're generally trying to find your way around trying to find yourself, who you are, what you want to do, and draw on your strengths and work on your weaknesses. And um, that journey really helped me with that process. So what made you, firstly, got you interested, you know, what made you go, okay, the Duke of Edinburgh International Award is what I want to do. Like, where did you hear about it? Did somebody encourage you to do it, or was it just something that you came across? I actually um, stumbled across it, believe it or not. I, I mentioned earlier that I, um, 
I used to want to be an author. So I, I was actually, I used to be a self-published author and I would write um, poems and short stories. And at that point, at that time, there was an organization that ran an award called the Young Achievers Award. And the award was designed to recognize and celebrate young people who have something unique to offer and talent that people should know about. And I entered that competition with one of my short stories and I won that award. And at the awards night when they announced the winner, that was also when they introduced the Youth of Ed Award. And I um, and they were introducing the first cohort of participants who would be in that year's pilot program. And at that time, I was actually one year too young to join the pilot anyway. Um, so when I heard about it, I was like, that's a fantastic opportunity for me to find my way around and just understand me and understand how I would like to use my lived experience and, and my knowledge and skills to contribute. So when I met with the awards leader that night, I said, next year, I would like to be there. How can I get there? And then, funnily enough, she called me a couple of days later and said there happened to be a position available in that cohort where I could actually join. So I took that opportunity and never looked back. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Kind of meant to be, right? <laughs> It sounds like listening to some of the talks that you've done, it sounds like this award was a real catalyst for you to um, kind of excel, you know, and you talk, you talk about it gave you confidence, you know, for the rest of your journey. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. I think in my back then, deep down, I knew that I've always wanted to, I've always been ambitious and I've always wanted to chase after a successful career but I've never really voiced that thought at that time because I didn't know I guess how I could I didn't know how I could leverage my own lived experience and everything else around me to help me do that and going through that journey has definitely exposed me to different challenges but also taught me one fact, and it's the fact that disability can be used as a force of innovation. So talk to us about that, that last statement that you've, you've said, that disability could be used as a force for change. What do you mean by that? And give us an example for that. I think because my own personally, as I grew up and all the major milestones in terms of attending school, getting jobs, social, accessing the community, every element of the day-to-day -day life has always, it always added a new layer of challenge, a new layer of challenges when disability is associated with it. Because I, I just face so many challenges for day-to-day -day activities, I'm sometimes forced to do things in a different way. And I'm always forced to think about things from a different perspective and think outside the box. Because traditional methods and traditional approaches don't always work. And I think the perfect example of using disability as a lived experience, as a force of innovation, is 
my role as a user experience designer at HireUp. So HireUp is an online platform that enables people with a disability to find, hire and manage their own support workers. So I myself manage a team of 10 support workers. So I'm a consumer on the platform, but at the same time, I'm also a designer in the product development team. And I think that puts me in a unique position because I know where the pain points are and where the depths are in the sector as a person with this experience. But at the same time, I also have the skills and expertise as a designer to help identify these barriers and change and turn them into opportunities. Mm, mm. If that <laughs> so there's there's always two sides of the coins you know that's the the side that you've just discussed but then there's also a side you know we when we spoke offline uh, you know I'm fortunate enough that to to be an, an able body male but you know obviously I've been in positions where I've hired staff and stuff like that you know what should somebody like myself or could somebody like myself ensure that we do to make it more inclusive for people who are in your situation or disabled in any way shape or form what can we do to be more proactive and include more people into the technology space mm, I think the first the most important thing to take into consideration is the attitude and perception towards inclusion and towards diversity. And I think acknowledging that, even just as simple as acknowledging that every individual has something unique to offer. And it's not so much about because you have a disability or of any other reason that we need to have special consideration. It's more about an equal chance, giving everyone an equal chance to participate and to contribute and that starts with attitude and perception. I'm also kind of thinking from you know accessibility perspective do we need to consider special desks you know those type of things that you know there's a physical um, environment there but there's also like you said quite interestingly the the perception side of things so the way people think Mm -hmm. about about it okay okay that's very interesting. And and I think the most I think um the interesting that I've learned as well is even the perception of the word accessibility and access and inclusion itself. And then when you talk about accessibility and access and inclusion, it's very easy to just automatically be drawn to people with a disability. And because it's, I guess, a bit more of an obvious an obvious factor to think about, but it's also accessibility and, and inclusion is a much broader term and it goes far beyond disability. It's also about gender and culture and education and everything else that makes us unique. Mm. Mm. You two touched on education a few times already, and when during our offline chats as well, you've you've spoken about education, right? Uh, you specifically mm-hmm. use the term the power of education. Talk to me a little bit more about what do you mean by that, and why it's so important to you. I think the reason why education is so important to me is because it changed my perception on design, and it helped shape me as a designer and how I approach the creative industry 
And what I mean by that is when I started my Bachelor of Digital Media degree at um, Torrance University, Australia, it was purely because of passion. I was simply a high school student who just got out of high school and it was the first year of uni and I, would, I didn't know much about design except that it's something I'm passionate about and something that I want to learn more about and potentially build a career in. But at that time, I think if you were to ask me what, what are the role of a designer, I would say in relation to products, the role of a designer would be to make beautiful products that everybody would love and want to have. But over the years, education has taught me that design is much more than just about functionality and aesthetics. It's also a way for us to use design to drive social good and to help create social change. And I learned to see this, these three elements, design as one separate element, social change as one, and technology as another. And my education journey has taught me to combine these three areas. And that led me to the work that I do in social enterprises. And that has shifted my career path and the way I approach design challenges. With regards to education for the schools, how well do they cater for people in your situ- situation? Is it, are they catering pretty well for that? Well, I guess I can probably answer that question from through my own personal experience. I um, when I finished high school, I actually um, I wanted to be a industrial designer. Um, oh, so I okay. yeah, so I approached one of the unis in Sydney, one of the well-known unis who is probably known for their, to be inclusive and diverse. And I met with the course coordinator for industrial design. And when I went into this meeting, I knew that there were parts of the course that I wouldn't be able to fulfill because it required physical hands-on tasks. Okay. Um, so when I went into this meeting, I asked if he was able to modify this course and the first response he said was no we can't modify this course in fact i think you should try to do an online course because that might that seems to be a much more easier option for someone like you so hold on to that thought for a little bit while i talked you through um when i approached Torrance University, which is where I eventually studied at. So I stumbled across, and I, I think I, when I found out about the digital media courses that was offered, I met with the program director, had the exact same conversation, except that I got a completely different outcome. And when I asked him the same question of, which do you think I would be able to do this course? And his response was, and I happen to remember very clearly we were sitting at a cafe on campus that day. He looked at me weirdly and then he said, if you're referring to academic-wise, I don't know because I don't know you. I've literally just met you probably 20 minutes ago. So I can't tell you if you can or can't do it. 
but if you're referring to general, I guess, participation and involvement in the course, then I don't see why not. Yes, there will be challenges, and yes, there will be things that we may have to modify, but we are a design school after all. And it's not only that, but an educational environment is meant to embrace everyone that's unique and draw out the strengths and give everyone an equal opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. So I guess a very long-winded answer to your story, just even compa- comparing the two experiences that I've had, the two different educational institutions and the two different outcomes that came out of it, it kind of highlights the perception and the attitude towards inclusion and diversity. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, I want to ask you one or two very sort of broad questions, I guess. What advice would you give any young person being in a similar situation as you, you know, knowing everything you do now? My advice would be to hold one word very close, and that's to be fearless. Be fearless and believe in yourself. And I know that probably gets thrown around a lot, but it sometimes it's very easy to, I just let yourself go with the flow and go with what other people think you can or can't do. And then... I guess your own voice gets drowned in the process. And what I think I found that really helped me when I was young was, even though I was, I guess, constantly being surrounded by negative thoughts and opinions about what I can and can't do, I, when I found the one person who was willing to see me for who I am, and I just see me as an, a young person, an individual who is just curious and wants to learn and believing that I have something unique to offer just like every other person, then I clung onto that person and I held on to them for dear life because I knew that there has to be more people like them out there and this person will lead me to that network of people who would be able to help me do that. Interesting. And then the next one is, so this is a big question. If you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? That is a very big question. <laughs> I guess we um, could put it as another way is, what's your mission now? My mission now, I guess, it would be to embrace the power of design and technology to help create positive social change. And at the same time, having access and inclusion, the principles of access and inclusion at the heart of it. And it's, I know it probably sounds very broad, um, (laughs) but ultimately I would love us to get to a place where access and inclusion becomes part of our DNA. And we don't actually have to have the conversations around inclusion and diversity anymore because that's embedded in our culture and that's just how we, um, we as a community should be. And it's not up to an individual or it's not up to a group of people to achieve this vision. It's 
something that we all need to work together for collectively on is our essence. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I, I was actually quite amazed by um, a statistic that while I was doing research preparing for this conversation that one in five people in Australia have some type of disability which which totally blew me away so it, it kind of I'm still surprised that you know there is a bit of a um, whether you want to call it stigma or mindset mm-hmm. you know to not you know be inclusive yeah and I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that um, that statistic through your mind because I think that also, it's it's kind of a bit of a weird thing, but I think once you start to be more aware of, but the I guess more aware of this, you'll probably start to notice little things that you probably wouldn't have noticed before, and that could be something as simple as you walking to the shops and realizing that the stop the shop has steps, or realizing that there's a lift to a building, but there's also two steps to get to the lift. And I think it's more around the awareness piece. I guess Mm. once you're um, more aware of what's happening from a, I guess, um, what's aware of what's happening in this world of, in a world of inclusion, you start to realize that really, if you were to think about it, our society actually wasn't built to be accessible. Because there's stairs, there's I guess, things that just become barriers for different groups of people. Mm. Um, and I think it's our jobs, no matter what industry or what sector you're in, it is our jobs to change that. And we can't have an accessible environment if we don't have an accessible culture and vice versa. If we don't have an accessible culture, we can't have an accessible environment. Hmm. Well said. Well said. Well, Melanie, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, your your inspiration to us all. Like I said before, it, it was a real um, honour to have you on the show. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Tech Leaders Talk Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us by rating the show on your favourite podcast platform. If you do, send a screenshot to our host, Ernst Pauser, on LinkedIn for a shout-out in the next episode. Please reach out if you have any feedback or questions.